How do you measure yourself with other golfers? By height. It's a very, very special honor. I'm Paula Creamer, and you're listening. Well, we're waiting. Hi, this is Martin Cove, a.k.a. John Kreese from Cobra Kai, and you're listening to Golf Talk Live. Let the word go out from here across the land. Let Daddy Noonan uh, approve. Hey, this is Shooter McGavin. You're listening to the 19th Hole Podcast. And welcome once again, fans of golf. Alan DePew, Golf Talk Live's 19th Hole. I am joined, as always, by our panel. Uh, on I got a full house today. We From my left, Little Linksters, Brendan Elliott. Brendan, Good evening, gentlemen. Good evening. To my right, Mr. Sportsbox, the smoothest swing in golf, as demonstrated on our social media, Andy Eidorn. Hello. And the prettiest podcaster in golf. He's back once again, Christian Nazamus. Hello, Christian. What's up, boys? And our resident historian, Boston Bob Baldessari. How are you, sir? Cheers for another great show. We have an amazing guest tonight. I, I was just about to say that to you, and we have an amazing guest. Would you like to do the honors? That would be my complete honor, <laughs> Your Honor. <laughs> <laughs> your Honor, Your Honor. Your Honor, Your Honor. Uh, yeah, wow. Uh, everyone, uh, you watch golf on TV weekly. You see the players out there, but you don't really know what goes on behind the scenes. There's a tremendous, I mean, a tremendous amount of weeks and weeks and months and months leading up to uh, tour events. And uh, we couldn't be more pleased and really privileged. I don't think he makes too many public appearances but we have on our show tonight, PGA, the head of the PGA Tour officials, Gary Young, hails from Massachusetts. I've known Gary since we were assistant pros back in the day. Uh, welcome, Gary. Kent. We're so pleased to have you. Thanks, Bobby. It's great to be with you guys. Looking forward to uh, having a good talk tonight. We're going to uh, cover some nice ground, some fun ground, some good fun stories, and uh, maybe you can even help our viewers or listeners with uh, some of the rules of golf because we know everybody plays by the rules right yeah absolutely <laughs> always always so uh you know i guess i'll kick it off uh you know some years ago you you were at pleasant valley uh, country club assistant pro and bj member and head pro at pleasant valley and and uh, you related the story to me which i wanted you to tell everybody which is really neat um how you became a tour official and just, um, you know, what they were looking for, which I guess surprised you. I don't want to tee it up too much for you, but just how you ended up on the towards uh, official, I thought it was really neat. Yeah, um, sort of a roundabout way to come to uh, the job that I have right now. Obviously, uh, tried to play golf um, immediately out of college. And then, as you said, decided to get into the golf professional, uh, PGA professional role. Um Working for years at Pleasant Valley, we used to host the PGA Tour for 35 years at Pleasant Valley, started in 1965 and all the way up through the 1990s. And um, I developed a very close relationship with Mark Russell, who was at that time the vice president of rules and competitions from the PGA Tour, uh, which is the position that I have right now. So, um, you know, we, we became close friends. I was always interested in the rules of the game and um, had a really strong knowledge of the rules as a player, but not to the level that you would have as a as an official on the PGA Tour. And I can remember um, they gave me a call. Mark gave me a call and said, 
we'd really like you to consider joining our staff. And I said, Mark, I'm, I'm not a rules expert, you know, and I would imagine you're looking for a rules expert. And he said, you know what, Gary, We're, we can always make you into a rules expert. We're looking for a golf guy. And I quickly realized after I ended up taking the job, I interviewed, took the job, you realize that as a rules official on, you know, the biggest tour in the world, probably about 10% of our job is actually dealing with the rules. The rest of it is administering the game and dealing with the best players in the world on a day in day out basis. So you really got to have the right personality. I guess it was a good fit and having been around the tour as much as I had been um, really worked out to my advantage. So yeah, that's how I kind of came to the tour. Okay, I got a question. Um, so, Gary, in uh, 2019, there was obviously the big change in the rules. And I feel like from, from where I sit, like I went from being really confident with my understanding of the rules of golf to much less confident after that whole you know kind of evolution of the rule book happened in 2019 and it just seems like like a lot of things changed and it's it's hard for people to really feel like they know the rules anymore do you think there's anything to that well <clears throat> i'll say this much i think when i had heard what was being undertaken now, now we're going back to like 2016 and I started hearing about what the RNA and USGA were working on and how they were going to try to modernize the rules of golf and and simplify them and combine certain rules into one and uh, reduce the number total number of rules. I was really worried about how it was all going to turn out. I have to admit, I think they did an unbelievable job and they really eliminated a lot of the silly rules that we had uh we had encountered through the years you know I, I i go back to um an experience at the zurich classic of new orleans where webb simpson who was tied for the lead at the time um on the 17th sorry 16th hole he addressed his ball and the ball moved and he had his putter probably some inch plus behind the ball there was no way he made contact with it but it was the fact that he had addressed the ball and the rules therefore deemed that he had caused it to move when when you everyone knew he had not caused it to move but it's just that was the standard back then and uh unfortunately we had to apply a one-stroke penalty put the ball back um he goes on to lose that that in a playoff and um i look back at that and say geez that really didn't feel right well they've gotten that right now there's a lot of accidental things that happen that they've eliminated and i'm so happy where they've ended up now so i i feel comfortable about that and i just think overall they took a really complex thing and turned it into a something pretty pretty easy I know you, I think you probably like me, you got used to how to, how to find certain rules and they made mm -hmm. sense, but exactly. I think they did an overall really good job. And then this latest one here, they cleaned up a couple of other, you know, um, 
We had that situation with Charlie Hoffman at the waste management last year yep. when his ball was in play after taking a drop. He simply walked up to look at the line and his ball subsequently rolls down into the penalty area. And now he's got a drop under penalty. And that just didn't feel right. It happened to Ricky Fowler, same place uh, a couple years earlier. And they went ahead and straightened that out now. So, I mean, they've cleaned up a lot. And uh, I think overall the players feel like we're in a pretty good spot right now. A lot less calls for rulings. You know, Gary, you, you brought up a couple guys out on the tour with some interesting rulings. I'm curious. I've always been curious about this. Is wh- what do you feel in in general the knowledge base is of the players on tour as far as oh, up a little bit more? Yeah, I, actually, your audio cut out at the end, but I picked up on uh, pretty much everything you said there. Um, I think you'd be surprised at the knowledge of these guys. Um, most times when they call for a ruling, you get there. I think they've got a pretty good understanding of the way it's going to go. But they're playing for so much money that they're just yeah. afraid to make any little mistake, any little technical error in determining the relief area or whether or not the ball stayed in the relief area or something strange happened. They just want to make sure that they followed procedures properly. Right. And that way, by bringing one of us in and us saying, yes, everything's okay, now that's it. That's the committee's decision is final there. So um, I think that's why they do it mostly is just to cover themselves. So, so Gary, you, you, I'm going to – I joke and say about the segues. So you were talking about cleaning up. The most famous ruling I can remember in golf, obviously, is a formative age – was Stadler laying down the towel underneath the yes. underneath the tree so he doesn't doesn't get messy. Yeah. But your other point was about just basically communication. I mean that's that's really it sounds like is what you're saying is that it's how you communicate with the player and there famously uh Sergio you know barking barking at officials that uh because do you do you see that often, or we do we not see that? I should say off camera, where the official the officials are in discussion, shall we say, with the players, and the players just don't like the ruling. It happens probably more than than you're exposed to, and uh, you know that's. I think most of us have the personality that we understand the pressures that they're under, and we understand that they're emotional oftentimes and uh you know i'm the first thing that i do is i take a look around and see if we're dealing with a camera or a microphone in the area and uh, that will oftentimes dictate you know how how i deal with the player in the situation you can you know right away if it's going to be a very sensitive situation and uh you know your tone your your tone is important you're trying to keep their blood pressure even keel and they're do they're, as a player, they're trying to do it. You know, anytime we come into a situation, I think they're looking at it like I, I want them to be looking at it like help is arriving. I'm right. coming here to help you, I'm not here to hurt you. I'm here to make sure you do things the, the right way so that no one can second guess you. And, I, you know, hopefully I, the way I approach a ruling, 
I'll usually address the player by name when I come in and I usually say, how can I help you out? And um, I think when he hears that, it sets the right tone. And um, that's always been my my thing is I just want I want them to feel like like I, I want them to feel like if it was me having someone come in, I want want to approach it that way. That's a good point, Gareth. You don't want to be the state police coming up behind yeah. the car. No. No, and, and especially when it comes to pace of play. You know, pace of play has really not been much of an issue. We've we've got a new pace of play policy on the PGA tour. We um we track their personal times for every shot, and the players know what their average time is to hit every type of shot, whether it's their tee shot, uh approach shot. Uh, going for it shot on a par five putt, you know, so they get their statistics and they can see where they are and are not losing time. And I always say, look, guys, we're not looking for you to be fast players. We're just looking for all of you to be somewhere around average, which on the PGA tour, an average shot is hit in 38 seconds. So We've kind of drawn the line at 45 seconds and above. And if you've got an average that's 45 seconds and above, we're going to unfortunately be focusing on you. And our, our goal is to get you closer to tour average. And we work with them and we meet with them and we go over these numbers and where they can improve. So, uh, but yeah, that's where your personality, excuse me, really comes into play dealing with that on the golf course. And does that happen more than we see? Much more, much yeah. more. Yeah, we hear from people all the time. Uh, you guys don't do anything about pace of play. They have no idea. We we talk incessantly all day long. I've, we all have an app. It shows us exactly what time the group should be finishing every hole, whether they're behind schedule, whether in position with the group ahead of them. It lights up red. We know that we got to react to that group. We look into behind the scenes. Have they had a ruling? Have they had? Did someone make a big number? It's things like that that will play into how we approach the group. You know, if we know they just had a tough hole, they made a couple of double bogeys. Well, maybe we don't give them an official warning. We might just talk to them and say, "Hey, guys, understand you had some problems back there. Let's just see if we can get back in position." And that's all they want to hear. You know, and they they they'll take it from there. Gary, you've always, it's all making sense now. You've always had that smooth, <laughs> calm way of communicating. And you've always been that way. And I can see how valuable that is to what you do now. Um, because I I can totally understand the level of tension that some of these situations can probably create. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you too was, how often are you not 100% sure of what to do for a ruling or, or a situation. I mean, does that happen often, not often? I mean, does it happen at all? I'd say probably maybe as much as 10% of the time. You don't have that little yeah. that little shred of doubt, you know, has that changed? Has that part of the rule changed? The best friend you have is that radio that you're carrying, and you know that you've got – seven other experts on the other end of that radio. And the easiest thing to do is just come in committee. You wait for them to respond and you say, guys, I've got a situation here. You just describe it as best you can. 
and then you wait for the answers to come back. And, uh, you know, I'm really big on, I'll listen to all the responses coming back and I won't rush because there's always that one or two people you haven't heard from. And you'll say, hey, listen, before I close this out, is there anyone else that feels differently? And all of a sudden you'll hear someone say, give me a second, I'm looking something up. And sure enough, you know, you could have most of the committee thinking one way and that one person who's in the background asking for a couple more seconds. I mean, it's not a race. Let's get it right. And all of a sudden he'll come back and there was a little nuance to the rule that thank goodness he caught. So it's happened many times. And yes, uh, I say anytime there's a shred of doubt in your mind, you should always throw it out to the committee. And, and I do it myself. You know, we're we're not perfect. The players just want to get the right answer. That's the most important thing. It's it's not that you get everyone right. Anyone who says they've gotten every ruling right is not telling the truth. We've all made mistakes. Hey, Gary, Kurt Byrne. I, I got to know uh, Gene Smith, who used to be a rules official for many, many years. He's he's in the North Florida section where I'm at. And uh, I've always wanted to ask him, but I never did. And now that I've got you here, yeah. uh, what's one of the most unusual rulings? I'm thinking back to last year with Hideki, with the paint on the face of the club. Yeah. What, what, what's some of the most unusual ones you've had in recent years? The scariest rulings are any that involve equipment. <laughs> I, yep, I we figured. have an equipment expert on our staff. John Much is his name, and he's our our senior director of, of equipment standards. And John is he worked for the USGA for years before he came to the tour. He wrote most of the most of the rules related to equipment. Um, I think he worked under Dick Ruggy for a number of years and others, um, but. Whenever we get an equipment ruling, boy, it's it's so good having John in the background, you know, on the other end of that radio. Uh, that Hideki one was something that, you know, to the average person, you would think, well, he should be okay, but you'd be surprised. But I did have one years ago, um, and it was at the President's Cup in Korea. And quite frankly, I... I threw it out to the committee. Phil Mickelson was playing. Um, he was playing a match. He and Zach Johnson against, I think it was Adam Scott and Jason Day. And they were even. And we were going down the fifth hole. And Phil had changed models of his golf ball and put a different model ball into play without telling anyone. And as we were on our way out to the fairway, he turned to me and said, we're playing the we're not playing the one ball rule, are we? And I said, yeah, we are. Mm. And he said, uh oh, I just put a different ball into play. And it's obviously four ball match play. And I said to myself, well, I think that eliminates him from this hole. And now we're going to be playing two against one. But I'll just throw it out to the committee because that was a situation where I just wasn't sure. And all of a sudden, I threw it out to the committee, and all the answers coming back were, that's correct, Gary. He's he's disqualified from that hole. And that was the time I didn't wait long enough for that person that was in the background. I didn't ask that question. And uh, I informed the players, 
that Zach was going to be playing on his own against the other two. And they ended up losing the hole to the international team. And I felt someone tug on my shirt when we were up near the green. And it was another official from the match behind. And he said, I think there's a problem. I think we got that wrong. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, I think we got it wrong. And I said, are they working on this in the background? And he said, yeah, you, you're going to have to hold them up on the next tee. We got to get this right. And not only did they lose the hole, and that because I eliminated Phil, they ended up losing the hole. There was an adjustment penalty to the match. So they end up having to adjust the match. So they went from being even to two down in one golf hole. And it was it was one of those moments where I had Roger Maltby from NBC wanted to interview me. What's going on? I had Jay Haas, the captain, coming at me saying, you better explain that one to me. And everything was coming at me at once. And it's like you've got to slow things down. And it was a really tough situation. But, you know, the bottom line is you have to admit when you get something wrong. And I just I told them, guys, I, I apologize. We I threw it out to the group. We got it wrong. That's on me. I'm the referee for this match. So that's on me. And uh, thankfully, in the end, the match ended up being tied uh, for the 18 holes. And um, but it could have had a big impact on the President's Cup that year. So that's, uh, <laughs> yeah. that's how quickly things can happen and go south. Christian? Yeah, my only uh, question to you is just basically like, what's the like, what's your favorite part of of like your of your day when it comes to like your job? Would you say? Um, I used to like setting up the golf courses. You know, our, our committee, we decide the strategy of the golf course. We have one person setting up the front nine, another person setting up the back nine. They're communicating with one another about their golf course setup, how many rights, how many lefts fronts, middles, backs, how are your par threes playing? We got four different clubs in their hands on par threes. Have we factored everything in? I, I used to love that part of the job. Now I'm in a chief referee role. So, um, I, you know, my job is just to make sure things go smoothly. And um, I just trust and, and know that we've got the best officials in the world um, setting up week in and week out. Do we get everything perfect? No. You know, there's times where the weather can come up and bite us. And that that just happened this past week at Pebble Beach. You know, we had a three golf course rotation, and that tournament is a monster to run. You got three different microclimates, three different sets of greens, and you're trying to mirror them. And uh, in the end, we had one golf hole on Monterey Peninsula Country Club on Saturday, the wind forecast was came up much higher than what was originally forecasted. And so the guys had set up, you got to keep the hole location and the tee locations the same for the first three rounds. Everyone rotates. And uh, when that wind came up, it basically shut us down. We couldn't keep a golf ball at rest on the green. And, uh, is it embarrassing? Yeah, it's really embarrassing. And and my job as chief referee, 
Um, you know, I accept responsibility for that. But again, we can't control the weather. Things happen that are unfortunately beyond our control. But, you know, looking back, maybe there's some things to be learned. We're going to have a debrief tomorrow evening as a staff, and we're going to talk about what went right and what went wrong last week. And that's just how we, we do things. Hey, Gary, can you, uh, can you visually demonstrate the old drop the ball over the shoulder for Christian? Because... <laughs> Oh yeah. my God, Bob! I was I was literally gonna throw that in there earlier. We're talking, Andy, Andy, bring, Andy brings up the rules, the old rules, and I was sitting there going, "Do I do I say that about Christian that he, he doesn't even remember dropping a ball over his shoulder?" The, well, I the miss real, that, Bobby. I miss real, that. I keep You're telling right. you, Christian. We had to be athletes because you had to drop it and you had to be really <laughs> fast and quick to get out of the way. Stop, drop, and roll, baby. Yeah. At least you knew you didn't know where it was going to end up. Yeah. It was truly, you know, just that chance, right? And that's why when they were doing redoing the rules revision 2019, there were some that wanted to be able to place the ball, no more, do away with dropping, just oh. simply have the player put the ball down on the ground. Wow. And, um, I think we're at a good spot right now. I mean, it was really low to the ground. And then we finally decided knee height was just enough space that no one was going to accuse anyone. It gave enough room visually that if you were looking across the fairway at your fellow competitor, you knew that he was dropping from knee height and there's still some chance involved. You know, the ball's not always going to end up in a perfect lie. And that was important to the governing bodies. The truth is, Andy, as you know, Christian never has to take a drop. No, no. He doesn't. <laughs> oh, I <Why> is that? <laughs> is he that good? Oh, if yeah. If I had to take a drop, I would be I would be literally with Gary on TV. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, Gary, one one of the things that that's also interesting about the rules, and I think this happened. With DJ and and I think it was, it was that I forget who the other guy was at the U.S. Open at Oakmont, where it was the moving ball and the green thing, and it there was a long delay between like when it happened and telling people what was going on, and it affects it affects how people play the tournament. You know, and that's got to be. It's got to be tough when that's thrown in your lap, right? On yeah. things like yeah. that, because it really does have a big effect on, on what's going on. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're unlike other sports where we're playing a little bit of catch up, but we're getting there um, with the video review of situations that are occurring. Um, I think it's going to become more and more important. Obviously, there's gambling, a lot of uh, betting on golf now. And a lot of pressure on us to get things right. But we're not really dealing with a confined arena where we have cameras that capture every angle perfectly. We're dealing with hundreds of acres of land with, you know, we may have a camera that shows us a good angle. We may not. But um, we just recently started a video review department and it's going to be built down at PGA Tour headquarters. And eventually we will have similar to other sports. We'll almost have a war room where uh, those of us in the field can call in 
uh, to a central location and say, do you guys mind reviewing hole 15, second shot, um, you know, Kevin Kisner's shot or whoever the player is. And they can pull it up quickly and take a look at it. And, you know, the player's telling me this happened. Can you confirm that? And they'll be able to confirm that type stuff on the fly. The only thing that we probably won't and, and what will always be part of golf is estimating a point where a ball crosses the margin of a penalty area. You know, that's always the players have the best angle on that. You know, if you're on the tee and you're playing number uh, number 18 at TPC Sawgrass and you got water all the way up the left and you hit a big sweeping hook, that's always going to be up to the players in the group to decide how they saw it. Yeah. And, uh, and and if it comes down to an argument, I'm always going to go with the player. The player has, he's looking directly down the line at the shot. So the onus is on the player and you always side with the player unless you've got a couple of the players that are adamant that he is wrong. And we had it last year. I, I was just about to say, Gary, isn't that what happened last year at the players? Yeah. 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 And, um, you know, it's kind of amazing. Um, you know, Daniel Berger was the player and he was adamant that the ball had crossed up close to the green and wanted to drop up there. And the other two players were adamant that no way, I think it was Joel Damon and I'm trying to remember who the third was, but Victor Hovland. And they just saw it differently. And, you know, I said, Daniel, ultimately, you're the player who had the best angle on it. I'm going to go with it. I'm going to go with you, but you've got to be 100% sure. And he said, well, that's how I saw it, but I'm not going to, if they're saying it was back there, I'm not going to go all the way up there. And I I pulled the three of them together and I said, look, guys, we're going to come to a compromise here. You're saying back there, he's saying up there, I want to pick somewhere in the middle that all of us can live with and feel like we've reached the right decision. And that's what we did. And then later, uh, about a week later, ShotLink, who's developed some new software, actually showed that we were probably within five yards. Where we decided on was actually within five yards of where it actually crossed the margin of the hazards or the penalty area. So the technology is going to get better and better, but I always think that it should be an estimation. Otherwise, you're going to have people constantly wanting camera what did the cameras say where did you know where exactly did that cross you can't you can't go to that standard i i remember gary hearing that those cries all over social media that you know it's unfair that that was a hole that wasn't covered as much with tv as the as a let's say a number 17 and that impacted this and you're saying the technology though is gonna i mean in that particular situation can you Will you as the committee have that opportunity to go to that quickly? I think we eventually will. I think we're moving closer and closer to that time where we can have that information almost instantaneously. We're going to have more cameras out on the golf course. And you've got a launch monitor that's behind the player on the tee. And you've got another radar that's behind the green. And we're actually getting to the point now where the launch monitor that's behind the tee is calculating from the moment he hits the ball 
just like you know our, our radars that you see in the simulators it is predicting within a square yard of where the golf ball is going to land I, I was actually watching the telecast with the, the on sunday with cbs where they introduced that on the par three i believe it was number five at pebble yeah and you're right i'll be damned if it wasn't within like yeah. about a yard of of where they projected it now obviously could not calculate spin on a par three and ball sucked back a little bit but right, right it was amazing the accuracy of that but but what it's doing is that is communicating with the cameras that are out near the landing area and it's telling them concentrate your effort on looking right here this is where we're predicting the ball is going to land. And when the ball lands and stops, it, it actually triangulates that exact position. So uh, it's the system is just getting better and better. We're so blessed to have ShotLink as part of our part of our family of company, you know, part of the PGA Tour. And um, it certainly enhances the broadcast and everything else that we do. Gary, you brought up 18th at Sawgrass. That's a tricky hole, but is is there a hole out there that you could say is probably one of the the trickiest in terms of how how the design of the holes laid out, or there's there's a, a lot of rulings year after year. Yeah, um, well, sixteen, sixteen, just the nature of that penalty area, how it cuts in front of the green and then wraps around the side. It always, you know, that's where you have a very contentious situation where the argument presents itself. You know, that's where and, that's where the burger thing was, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. And yeah. um, you know, it is so it's so advantageous for a player to be able to drop right up their green side that oftentimes, you know, when we're marking golf courses and you see a penalty area that's going to create that contentious situation. That's when we decide to mark it yellow. Just if it ends up in the water, there's no argument, guys. We're either going to the drop zone or you're going back to where you hit your previous shot from. There is no dropping up their green side when it's marked yellow. So, um, but 16 would be difficult just given the, the you know, generally the, penalty area runs laterally with the hole so parallel to the hole so you need it to be red but um yeah anytime you have that little spit of land or something that you can get an argument amongst the group those are those are some really tough situations to be called in on you know you know if you i, I just say to the player all the time if there's even a shred of doubt in your mind You've got to go back. I mean, this is, you've got to be sure it crossed up here. This is, this is too advantageous. And, and they're saying they don't think it crossed here. So, I mean, you're going to have to live with yourself dropping up here. And if you kind of put it to them that way, and you say, if there's any shred of doubt, 99% of the time they're going back. But if a player is that, adamant and and he wholeheartedly believes and he had the best angle on it and he thinks it's up there and then i'm gonna go with the player i mean he has to live with that there's a conscience thing in golf right. definitely you know you know if you did the right thing and you know if you didn't do the right thing and you just kind of know that's golf will take care of that somehow the some golf, have it in some have it in some don't 
<laughs> you can try to suck me down a bad road. No, not at all. Here it comes, guys. Andy, Andy, were you trying to tee one up or just throw one? Not at all. I was just segueing to my question. You're um, putting it over your shoulder. Yeah. It it does seem like like as as much as you guys and I love the way you do this, you kind of always leave it in their court, like make it their decision, which I think is like a really good approach. But it seems like there's just cases from time to time where people, the golfers are taking it personal that that you're ruling against them and it's and it's you that's making the decision rather than the rule book. And is is you get that sometimes? Is that does that happen? Yeah, I mean, it's always just the rules. It's not, there's nothing personal ever, you know, that it just doesn't play into our psyche at all. You know, I, I, I put blinders on whoever the player is, whatever the situation, it's just facts that you're dealing with. And the rules are very clear on the result of those. And sometimes a player can, can feel like it's somewhat personal, but it's, it's not personal. It's just, these are the facts you know, and sometimes um, uh, I, I'll bring up a situation last year, <clears throat> Cameron Smith um, at the FedEx yeah. tournament, he took a drop um, under penalty area relief, two club lengths, and the ball came to rest on the line. And we did not find out about it until later. And ultimately, we have a responsibility to get that right. I, I don't care if that round is done or whatever. It's a 72-hole tournament. And ultimately, any player wants to know that they won a tournament cleanly. It's a clean win. So, you know, a lot of people, uh, social media, you know, once in a while, I don't pay attention to it. So, But once in a while, you know, there's a lot of people out there with opinions on what's right, what's wrong. But... Um, you know, I know we got that right. I know we got that. And it was a tough call to make, you know, everything that was going on in the world of golf. And we knew the rumors flying around at the time about Cameron. There was nothing personal about that. It's just, we're playing a championship and we've got to get it right. And so, you know, when he came through the door of the clubhouse, I asked him to step into the rules office with me and just simply told him, look, this information has come about. And there was a member of the rules committee that saw a replay of it last last evening. And he's uncomfortable with what he saw. And he thinks you might have been on the line. And we had to pull up the film and we looked at it. And sure enough, your ball was squarely on the line. And I showed it to him. And he said, yeah, you're, you're right. It was on the line. He said... Um, I said, why, why didn't you call for a rules official? He, There was some question in his mind at the time. And I said, why didn't you call for one of us? You know, And he said, I, I just didn't think of it. I thought it was okay. I think he talked it over with his fellow competitor. And they both thought it was okay as long as a portion of the ball was outside of the penalty area. Well, it's the opposite. If any portion of the ball is overhanging the line or it's on the line, it's in the penalty area. So he didn't take a proper drop. He deserved a two-stroke um, penalty. 
did he gain a big advantage by doing it? No, but the rules are the rules. You know, it's very crystal clear and, and no personalities or anything. It, but that was a real tough situation. And and we took a beating on that one on social media. But I can look in the mirror and say, hey, I just we applied the rules as they're written and everyone has to play by them. So, hey, Gary, uh, got a two part question. Yeah. <clears throat> so do you, do you remember your first ruling? on tour yeah and do you have any good tiger stories because everybody everybody <laughs> okay. loves a tiger story. my first ruling on tour was with rich beam and it was a an equidistant opposite margin ruling and i remember there was a lot of foul language involved <laughs> <laughs> rich's rich's emotions were running high and he was just he felt like he was just being left with two really bad areas to drop in and he didn't mean any of it towards me but I, it was kind of comical that was the first time i said well this is going to be an interesting uh, <laughs> occupation if i've got to deal with this all the time but yeah that was my first ruling on tour and uh tiger man most of my rulings with tiger have been very straightforward and you want to talk about someone that is switched on about the rules he's very switched on um most times when he's calling you in he knows exactly where where the ball's going and he just wants the whole world to see that everything's on the up and up and uh i miss i miss having him out there obviously you know the whole we all miss having him out there on a regular basis product is uh very popular with him on the golf course there'd be less loose impediments right i mean <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that was a difficult one. Yeah, that was a difficult one with him <laughs> back at the BMW years ago. And I, I tell you what, it's brilliant, actually. I mean, <laughs> that, that was one of the first uh, first time video. I can remember we really used video against a player in that situation, and and that was really unfortunate. Um, you know, he he really didn't feel the ball moved, but the video showed. Oh no, I was referring to moving the rock. Oh, that the, one. The, yeah, the, yeah. Removing the boulder. <laughs> yeah, that's come up a uh, few times with people where they want want someone to help them move. They just don't have the size crowd he had. So <laughs> a little bit of a disadvantage. All right, guys. Well, we're running down. we got about five uh, five minutes left. And, of course, for, we, we're going to do this as a historical don't be that guy. So there's nobody better than our, our <laughs> resident historian, Boston Bob. Okay, so this week's don't be that guy. Uh, if you're going to mess with history, think twice. It's the old uh, measure twice, cut once. Um, so I don't know who was the ultimate decision maker to put the little patio on the 18th hole at the uh, St. Andrews on the Swilkin Bridge. But, man, don't be that guy that's going to mess with messing up a historical iconic location by putting a patio next to that bridge. Are you kidding me? That would be like for us New Englanders – um doing something at Fenway or the garden I mean not that the garden's there anymore but uh you got to respect that history and uh yeah that's kind of crazy um if we have more time I do have one historical uh antidote for Gary and Andy Hydron might remember this too and uh we could we could sort of finish with this uh because we all come up in the game and there's there's professionals before us in every in every uh, discipline we do, and for Gary now concentrating on the rules, 
Uh, there's an iconic rules official in the New England PGA years ago by the name of Buddy Young, and he had a standing bet with all the New England PGA professionals that he would find you break a rule of golf within a round of golf. And the story goes, he's uh, goes to a tournament, Dana Quigley, who's a very famous, uh, especially Champions Tour player, uh, gets on the first tee and makes a sizable monetary bet with Buddy that he will not, that, but that uh, Dana will not break a rule. And so what I'm told this story is coming off the second or third hole, Dana says something like, that's going to be a nice win that I get. And Buddy goes, you've already broken two rules. <laughs> <laughs> Buddy. Buddy was something else, wasn't he? No relation, but uh, yeah, right. gosh, he was fun to have around. Yep. He was amazing. I think he stumped the USGA one time uh, with the ruling, but uh, we can't thank you enough for being on the on the show tonight, uh, Gary. I mean, just the stories are amazing, what you've done um, in the game of golf and to help uh, the game move forward. And everybody watches the tour. They see what happens there. It has a direct effect for uh, certainly myself with the PGA Pro, Brennan, a PGA Pro, Alan at the facility level when people come out and they look up in my golf shop at the TV screen. And you've been on there before. And I go, hey, I know that guy right there, given the ruling. <laughs> uh, so yeah. people respect that. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me on. And, I, you know, I'd love to be on in the future. If there's something oh. that comes up that you guys want to talk about, you just let me know. Um, always love talking to guys in the business and, uh, you know, it's a, it's a small community, isn't it? The golf community. Absolutely. There is. Andy, 18th green, final thoughts. What you got? Um, Gary's great to see you. Um, and this was a great show for us. Uh, in in uh, deference to the rules, we <laughs> something came out today. I don't know if you guys saw it, but there's a whole bunch of new rules coming up for baseball this year. Did you guys see any of that? Yeah. Like, like pitch clocks and, and batter clocks and like talk about talk about like huge changes. That's going to be really interesting to see what happens. We yes. need Don, we need Don Ray, the former uh, professional baseball umpire to interpret those. Uh, Brendan, what do you have? I, I think it's good for any of the uh, young golfers like I work with uh, to, you know, brush up on the rules because it can really play to your advantage, especially if you're somebody looking to, to play in college, play at the next level, play professionally. Um, it's, it's a thing that I don't think it's teach nearly enough. So uh, brush up on that rule book. Austin, Bob. Good advice. I was going to say the same thing, Brendan. The, uh, my Sorry, dad, Bobby. No, my dad was a PGA member for 53 years, would tell me in his golf shop all the time, learn the rules. The rules are there to help you. I yep. didn't get it. And when I was 14 at Andover Country Club, a ruling happened where I screwed up and I didn't know the rule. And I, to this day, I wonder, I, I should have won that mass junior, New England junior, whatever it was, because uh, I didn't know the rule. And I used to think they were there to hurt you, but they're really, it's one of the purest things about golf that if you do know the rules, they're there to help you. And you do have options if you know the rules, where to drop under the rules. So it's a great point. Mr. Nazamus. Yeah, knowing the rules obviously is key. I had a time in college where I was leading a tournament and and I didn't know the rule at the time and I got assessed a penalty and whatnot and I ended up not winning at the end of the day. So like we just alluded to, yeah, definitely, you know, tune up your brain on it when it comes to the rule book because uh, obviously it is your friend at the end of the day, the more you know. Um, but going back to obviously, you know, continue guys to please um, 
you know, follow us on all social media here, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Gary, we really appreciate you coming on. Um, definitely knowledgeable from at least my standpoint, just cause I'm obviously the younger one out of the, out of the podcast group here. Um, but no, it's awesome to always hear stories about golf. And that's the beauty of the sport is that you're always going to have stories to tell um, at the end of the day. And it's amazing the people that you get to meet in this industry. So. And mine is this literally three hours old New York post is per reporting and we can't work. The, we cannot have a show without at least one reference. Andy Heidorn. <laughs> live apparently in a court filing made no revenue in 2022 <laughs> and i'm just gonna leave it at that that's all i'm gonna say <laughs> thanks for listening folks <laughs>you only have one opportunity to sell your golf property Shouldn't you partner with an expert that offers you 30-plus years of golf industry experience combined with the reach of a global leader in real estate? Collier's International Golf Brokerage and Advisory Services understands your unique business needs. Whether it is brokerage, management, and consulting, be reassured that the market leader in the business of golf is providing you the real answers and practical solutions you deserve. Contact Golf Talk Live co-host and Collier's Golf Advisory Services member, Alan DePew, today at 717-554-8519. That's 717-554-8519.